Good morning. Before you're seated, just uh, shake each other's hand or give each other an elbow and just greet each other this morning and welcome each other to church. It's all good. It's all good. I got you covered, man. It's good. It's great to be together this morning. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? Okay, great. So I'm going to read uh, some scripture to you from 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, just as in fact you are doing. Uh, we want to welcome you to Northgate Baptist Church. If you are online, we want to welcome you as well. And we have lots of events that we are building each other up and opportunities to encourage each other, just like it says in 1 Thessalonians. The first thing is, if you are brand new to us, as in the last two and a half years, I know it's like such a long time, that we have a newcomer's lunch happening right after this service, and that's in the fellowship hall, so please join us. We're going to have um, some of the uh, leads of the church to be there, so you have opportunity to meet people and see how God's moving in our church. If you're online and you're watching, you have an hour to get down here to uh, join us for lunch, so you can listen to uh, Mark's sermon in your car in your podcast or something. So, um, Young adults, board game night, 7 p.m. That is happening. Oh, I forgot to write the date down. When, when is it? June 9th. June 9th. Thank you. And I was wondering what the definition of young is, but I'll leave that up to Garrett. So uh, that's June 9th at 7 p.m. VBS. Yes, we are doing an in-person VBS this year. Uh, get your pen and paper out. It is July 11th to the 15th from 9 till noon. If you want to help, let me know. Um, please register your kids before June 30th, though. Uh, there's a few ways that you can register. You can uh, grab an application form and do the QR code. Or our, we have an application on our website under a Kids Ministry. So please fill that out. It's going to be a great time. The theme of it is summer games. So we're going to do kind of a sports fun theme like that. Um, baby bottle drive campaign is until June 19th. You can look at your bulletin for more details with that. Uh, I just want to thank Lauren. Lauren has been so amazing to our church and such a blessing, him and his team. He cooked us an amazing meal for our congregational meeting a few weeks ago, and he's doing the newcomer's lunch. So I think uh, Lauren has a thing for food lately. So we just want to thank Lauren and his team. So if you see him, just, uh, just, uh, just tell him how much we appreciate him for the service he's doing. I'm going to pray and just give our service to the Lord. Oh, gracious God, you are so good to us, Lord. And Lord, we are so grateful for the way that you're moving in the hearts of the people of this church, God. And we think of uh, the baptisms last week, God, and it's such a celebration, Lord, uh, just to be a part of that and, and to see the way that your spirit is moving, God. And Lord, we just lift up our church to you, Lord. And uh, God, we just uh, thank you for Pastor Mark, Lord, and just the amazing gift you've given him to preach your word and to teach us your word, God. And I just pray for him right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just speak through him. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Oh, kids, uh, you can be dismissed.
Good morning. Good to see you all here. Uh, funny thing just happened. I gave Bill Ralston a little elbow to say good morning. Refs called a penalty. Two-minute power play for Colorado. Who was like, <laughs> that's my only comment on the game. All right. Uh, I am so glad that you can be here this morning, or whether you're listening at home, uh, that we can spend a little time uh, just in the Word of God this morning. Uh, I'm actually extra excited because uh, this morning we're finally concluding uh, our series looking at the book of 1 John uh, with the passage of 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. And it's been quite the journey uh, through this book, quite an eventful time, actually. Uh, even just looking back, we started this book all the way back in January when COVID fears, remember that, and fears of lockdown, those things were still ever-present. We were still sanitizing and wearing masks, and I even ended up getting COVID myself along the way. But, you know, so much has changed, even just the few short months. I mean, COVID's just a fleeting memory for many of us, and like monkeypox is the new pandemic of the month. Like, that's the thing now. And I mean, there's a war in Ukraine. I just heard it's like 100 days now that they've been there. Uh, the trucker convoy, there's government crackdowns, rising inflation, cost of living increases, school and mass shootings. It's, it's crazy. Uh, all the stuff that's happened in just this little while. But I think the lesson for that, as I was looking back in all of that, is that, you know, there's never a shortage of things happening in the world or in our lives that the Word of God can speak to. As I really said, you know, this speaks so timely to COVID, but it's everything. And, you know, the message of 1 John, it's still hits home. And that message really was, we should have confidence in Christ. Even in an unstable world, there is certainty to be found in Jesus when you hold on to the truth of who he is. Which is exactly the thought that John actually wants to leave us with as he finishes off uh, this letter that he's writing. He really, he wants us to have confidence in our faith in Christ. So if you follow along with me, uh, let's wrap up this letter with this passage, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God. And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just ask that you would be just with us in a very special way again this morning. Lord, as we open your word, we acknowledge it is your truth. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to be among us as we look at it, to, to guide our hearts and our minds into the truth you would have us hear. And Lord, I pray that we would hear it. Lord, that it, it wouldn't just be sort of in one ear and out the other, and that was a nice word, but it didn't really affect 
the rest of my life. Lord, may this truth be transformational in our hearts as we truly take hold of the confidence that we can have in our faith in Jesus Christ. Just the surety of, of who you are, of what you've done, is the bedrock that we build our life on. And I pray that that would be a sure foundation in all that we do. Lord, may you be greatly glorified in all that is said here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as a pastor, when I study the, the Word of God, uh, I love to see sort of these little moments in the book uh, that, that just reveals the humanity of the author. Uh, there's often little details that pop up here and there that are just so relatable. And one of those actually happens uh, in these final words that John is writing to his readers. And to relate to it, uh, let me give you just sort of a context, a scene that you can imagine in your own life. Imagine you're just, you're maybe your manager at your job and you're stepping away from, from managing to go on vacation for a while and you're leaving things in, in the office in the hands of your employees. Or, or maybe you're a teacher and you've got a class of students that you love and, but you're going away for whatever reason and you're leaving them with a substitute. Or, or maybe one more that you can relate to. Maybe you're a parent and you're going away on a trip and you're leaving sort of your older kids in charge back at home and, you know, in all those things, you've done your best to prepare those people, you know, the people you love, the people you care about, for that responsibility. But still, when that moment comes to actually leave, you often find yourself just giving this flurry of instructions, even when you're sort of standing on the door. So, you know, you're like, okay, kids, bye, we're going to, but, you know, you know, remember to feed the dog and do the dishes and, you know, don't pick on your brothers. And if the furnace breaks down, call grandpa. And then you're like, blah, blah, blah. And your kids just look at you like, just go, like, just you know, we've got this. Just just go. You don't have to tell us over and over again. But you just sort of, I don't know, you just can't help but sort of feel like you want to get those last few words in. And that's kind of how John is ending this letter. Um, this whole passage has this feeling of, you know, I know I've told you this stuff already, but I just want to tell you one more time just to be sure that you've heard it. And then I want to just add a couple more things uh, quick before we end. It's just, it's rapid fire. It's quick. There's all kinds of stuff going on here. In some ways it leaves you wondering, you know, is everything John talked about in this passage, is it related? Is it more just random thoughts? He's trying to, you know, cram out of his brain before he forgets to do something before he's done. But really, when you look at this passage, I would argue that that John really does have a very important point and a purpose as he writes these final uh, words, these final instructions to the church. And the point that he makes, uh, the point that he wants us to take hold of as he writes one last time, is a point that begins with the word, I would say, confidence. In fact, verse 13 and 14, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence, he says, that we have towards him. John's writing this letter to his readers so that they can be confident in their faith, so that they can know these things about Christ. And this isn't new for, for John. John's been talking about these things, this, this assurance we can have, this certainty we have in our faith, this confidence that we can have in Christ. He's been talking about that all through this letter. Just a few examples. First uh, John 2, 3, he says, by this we know that we've come to him. 1 John 2, 5, this is how we know that we are in him. 1 John 3, 10, this is how we know uh, who the children of God are. 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. 3, 24, this is how we know that he lives in us. Verse 4, 2, by this we know the spirit of God. 4, 13, this is how we know that we live in him and him in us. 
John 5, 1 John 5, 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. And again in our passage, verse 5 chapter 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And when John uses that word know, he, he's not just saying, you know, talking about something that might sort of be true with a high degree of certainty. He's talking about having absolute confidence in these things that he's telling us about. It's knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, when you read the book of 1 John, you should be more sure of your faith in Jesus Christ when you end than when you began. That's the point he's writing for. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to know. He wants us to be confident in our faith. And yet I wonder if you were just sort of to ask in a general way, I wonder how many people would say confidence is a word that sort of best describes their faith. Because for a lot of people, that's a, that's a tall order. Um, you know, we, we tend just as a society, we tend to be worriers. We tend to be anxious about things. We tend to, tend to get kind of wind up, wound up about things. We let our minds wander, and we, we kind of let our eyes stray off what's truly important. There's a lot of distractions. We tend to focus, I think, a lot on, our, on ourselves and our mistakes and our shortcomings, and we look at all the places we fall short, and we think, you know, well, I mean, I'm just not sure. You know, look how, look how badly I'm doing here. Like, it, it, it creates doubts. And even worse are when those hard times come into our life. And, you know, circumstances get really tough. And you begin to wonder, man, does God really care? Is he doing this for a reason? Did I sin? Did I, is he punishing me? You know, does God even notice me when I'm going through stuff like that? And for so many people, I think when it comes to matters, the matter of faith, confidence can be hard to find. Because we're so full of doubt. But hear this clearly. You can have certainty in your faith. You can have confidence before the Lord. You can believe and and dispel all doubts about your place in the kingdom by trusting God's word and trusting God's son. Because our confidence, we should have confidence, but that confidence isn't in ourselves, it is in Jesus. And that's what matters. And John is really telling us here, you know, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and if you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sin, and if you believe that Jesus is Lord and you trust him with your salvation, you can have confidence that you will have eternal life. You can be certain of it. And again, it's important to point out that this eternal life John's talking about, it's not just off in the future for one day after we die. This eternal life is about living the abundant life even here and now. Which is why John goes on to talk about several other areas of our lives where this confidence in Christ should make a difference right now. And the next area that John mentions here is that we should have confidence in Christ in prayer. Uh, he writes in verse 14 and 15, says, this is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The first step to confident prayer is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, is the only way to gain access to the Father and to come before the throne of grace. You have to go through the sun. And that reminds me of a story about a father who took his son to the local carnival. 
uh, to ride the rides. And he bought this big roll of tickets and the father didn't want to go on the ride. So he just stood, you know, at the entryway of each ride and his son would go on and come around. And when he'd come around again, he'd give him a new ticket and he'd go off on another ride. Then at one ride, he took out his tickets and he handed one out to his son and he ran off. But there standing in line behind his son was another little boy with his hands held out. Like, this is the ticket guy. (laughs) Give me a ticket. And he thought, like, he thought, who is this kid? And he got a little angry, thinking this boy was trying to get a free ticket. So he's about to tell him the kid to leave when he heard the voice of his son call out behind him. He says, it's okay, Dad. He's my friend, and I told him that you'd give him a ticket. Well, of course, the father gave the boy a ticket with a smile, and it wasn't because that boy deserved it. It's because the boy made the request through the son. And that's a picture of us in prayer. When we come to God through his son, Jesus Christ, he welcomes us. That's where our confidence before God in prayer comes from. I mean, look at those words in Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 16. It says, since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Then it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can approach God in prayer with confidence because of Jesus the Son. And when we go to God in prayer, uh, John tells us we can be certain of two things. The first thing we can be confident of is that God hears us. It says in verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Have you ever been uncertain when you pray about whether or not God is actually hearing your prayers? I mean, how many times have you maybe heard someone say, you know, I, just, I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and hitting me back in the faith. But John is telling us here, God is always listening to our prayers. In fact, God is more anxious to hear from you than you are to talk to him. He's always waiting. You don't have to force your way into God's presence or beg him for his attention. He's always there waiting for you to arrive, ready to listen. He always hears our prayers. And then secondly, the second thing about prayer we should be confident of is that God also answers us. Verse 15, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. When we pray, we're not just talking to ourselves. Prayer's not just a self-help exercise that helps us, you know, eternally, whatever, blah. When we pray, we enter into the presence of the Almighty God himself who hears us, and if God hears us, he will act on our behalf. John's telling us here, Christian prayer is answered prayer. And I love hearing, you know, some of the many stories about uh, the life of George Mueller. Uh, If you don't know him, George Mueller was an evangelist who ran an orphanage in Bristol, England in the 1800s. It said that one day George Mueller was walking down the streets of Bristol. And as he looked up, he he saw hundreds of homeless children living in the streets. And he was so sort of moved with concern for for these young ones that he decided, I'm going to do something about it. And it said he only had two, two pence in his pocket. He had two cents to his name. But he says, I'm going to start an orphanage. And he did. And in 60 years, beginning with two cents, 
George Mueller took care of 10,000 orphans on the streets of Bristol. And Mueller himself knows he could have only done that through answered prayer. He wrote, one night there was no food in the orphanage to give the children for breakfast, so he set the table with plates, even though there was no food in the house or money in the bank to buy it. And having set the table with plates, he prayed. And that morning, the baker knocked on his door and said, I just couldn't sleep last night. So I went down to the bakery and I made some bread and I just brought it over. Another time, a milk truck just happened to break down in front of the orphanage and they, they had no milk. And the truck driver came over and said, you know, this milk, is, it's all going to spoil. Would you like some of it? And their need was met. And time and time again, God answered George Mueller's prayers. In fact, Mueller kept a record. He kept a journal of almost every one of the prayers he prayed over 60 years. There's actually more than 3,000 pages of prayers in his journal. And in that time, he recorded no less than 30,000 times that his prayers were answered. That works out to more than 500 answered prayers a year on average. That's more than one answered prayer per day. Because God is a God of answered prayer. Of course, some of you may be saying at this point, well, if that's true, why haven't I won the lottery yet? (laughs) Well, it's important to note that John says in verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer is not some kind of Aladdin's lamp that we just, you know, if we rub it the right way, it will cause the great genie of heaven to appear and grant our requests. Prayer is not a means of getting God to do our will. Prayer is how we can see God at work accomplishing his will. And that means we also, in in prayer, we also need to allow God to answer our prayers in his own way. And that's not always easy. It's like the old saying, sometimes when we pray, God says no, or God says grow, or God says go. But all of them are answers. Because God is a God of answered prayer. And that leads us to the next area of confidence we should have. And this is still on the topic of praying, but John tells us we should not just be confident sort of in praying for ourselves, but we should also be confident in praying for the needs of others as well. Uh, Verse 16 and 17. He says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And when I read that verse this week, it reminded me, when I was a young pastor, sometimes, you know, after I preached, I'd go to Kathy and say, you know, how do you think it went? And a lot of times she would tell me, I missed several good opportunities to stop. Um, I feel like, I feel like I would want to say that to John here. Like, John, it was going so well. We were doing really well. Now, just before you finish, you start talking about this weird nuance of sins that lead to death. And stuff. like, it just, if you stopped writing at 15, we'd be done. Like, yay. But, but there's still an important lesson here. And the lesson is that we do need to pray, not just for ourselves, but for others, especially in the area of salvation. You know, another story about George Mueller uh, says he once wrote in his journal, November 1844, he wrote these words. He said, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health or on land or at sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. So 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and I moved on to pray for the other four. 
Five years elapsed, and the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. He says, these two remain unconverted, but I hope in God, I, but I hope in God, I pray on and look yet for the answer. And you know, it wasn't until after Mueller's death that the last man accepted Christ as a savior, but each and every one of them did. And that's the importance in praying for other people in our lives. If we have confidence in prayer, we will pray for the needs and the salvation of the people around us. And we'll pray with confidence. But I know you're probably still thinking about that strange phrase that, God, that he uses, there's a sin that leads to death, and I say that I don't say that you should pray for that. Um, you know, this is a weird passage. This may be with the, where some people get the idea of the seven deadly sins, where there's you know, sins so toxic that to our spiritual growth, they stunt it completely. The Catholics have this idea of mortal sins, that if you commit one of these things, there's no forgiveness left for you. But I think what John is actually talking about here, when he talks about a sin that leads to death, quite simply, the sin he's talking to about there specifically is just, it's a lack of repentance in a person's life. The sin that, so sins that don't lead to death are sins that are covered by the cross. They're forgiven in Christ. But the sin that leads to death is a sin that keeps a person from accepting the free gift of salvation in the first place. It's a person actually rejecting Jesus. And because of that, he talks about leading to death. I think he's talking about uh, them experiencing like eternal death, separation from God. So I think if I were to maybe try to rephrase or paraphrase what John is trying to say here in these verses, I would say something like this. He'd be saying, you know what? Pray for your fellow believers who may be struggling with sin and pray that they're going to find victory over that sin. And you can pray for those unbelievers who don't know Jesus and pray that they will come to a place of repentance and accept Jesus as their Savior and they would, that they will experience salvation and no forgiveness of sin. But then he's saying, but don't, don't pray for people who have hardened hearts and refuse to impress. Don't pray that they're going to be forgiven anyways. Because there's no bypassing Christ and the cross on the way to heaven. You have to be born again. That's what I think John is talking about here. And that actually leads us to what John talks about next. Verse 18. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the world lies in the power of the evil one. And to me, the, the confidence that John is talking about here in these verses, I think could be summed up best as we should have confidence of our victory in Christ. Because you know what? In our lives as believers, we wrestle with temptations that come from three main sources. Uh, temptations that come from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, and you know what? John has actually talked about each of those things uh, previously in, in this book, in this letter he wrote. So really what he's talking about here is just a summary of all the stuff he said before. And John mentions each of those things really here. And in doing so in these verses, he, 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 he's reminding us, he's letting us know that, you know, sin and the flesh, it can't hold us. The devil cannot harm us and the world is not our home. He's reminding us that, that before we were in Christ, we were powerless against each and every one of those things to stand. But in Christ, God has actually given us the victory over all of them. 
And having confidence in our victory in Christ in all of these areas, it matters. Living that you know, living knowing that you have the victory is what confidence is all about. Um, I actually found another great illustration told by a, a pastor who lived in Hawaii. That's a tough job, hey? Oh, pastor lived in Hawaii. And he, he says this, he says, in Hawaii, because of the time difference with the continental U.S., that the National Football League Monday night football game is played in the mid-afternoon. So the local TV station delays its broadcast until 6.30 in the evening. But then he says, but when my favorite team plays, I'm too excited to wait for the television broadcast. So I'll listen to the game on the radio, which is broadcast live. And then, because it is my favorite team, I'll still watch the game on television too. And if I know my team has won the game, it influences how I watch it on TV. If my team fumbles the ball or throws an interception, it's not a problem. I just think, that's bad, but it's okay because in the end, I know we're going to win. And that's the same true for us as believers. You know, a lot of things can come our way in life that'll disappoint us, that'll discourage us. Things come along that cause us to stumble sometimes in our walk with God. But all the while, we can still have that certainty, that confidence that we're on the winning team. We can know that we have the victory as Christians. Just as Paul writes in Romans 8, 37 to 39, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are words of victory. And in everything that will come our way during our lives and in our walk with God, we have that victory. And in everything that stands against us, stands against us or our faith, no matter what it is, God has given us the victory and the means to overcome those things in Christ Jesus. Which leaves us only one more area for John to remind us about when it comes to confidence. And that is he brings us back to the person of Jesus Christ once again. In verse 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. And here John ends this letter in the same place he began it. Because when all is said and done, the source of our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. And the truth about who Jesus Christ is is essential to living in faith. You know, the truth about Jesus is essential to us living with confidence. And we need to take hold of that. Because you know what? If you're not sure about Jesus, how can you be certain about anything? There's a story told about an architect who visited a, a vacant home with, with a friend who, who wanted to purchase the home, and he just wanted a second opinion. And the friend was particularly struck in, in this home by the beauty of one of its rooms. that He wanted to turn it into a study, but he objected to a post that was in the middle of the room. He's like, oh, I'm just going to have to take that out. And the architect looked, he says, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and he's like, well, of course I am. I, I'm, if I own the house, I can do, house, I can do whatever I want. And he says, you're not going to do that with the post. And he says, why not? He says, because you can't take that post out without taking the house down. It's part of the load-bearing main structure of the house. 
And that's the same with the truth of Jesus Christ in our lives. Who Jesus Christ truly is and what he has done for us on the cross, that truth is what supports the whole structure of Christianity. It's the foundation of truth upon which we stand and upon which we build our lives. You can't take that away without everything else crumbling down. But when you do take hold of that truth, when we build our lives upon Jesus and the truth of who he is, that's where our confidence in all things springs from. You know, when we have confidence in Christ, we have confidence in everything that he said and everything that he has done and everything that he's promised to us. When we have confidence in Christ, we know that we can be forgiven. When we have confidence in Christ, we know that we belong to him. When we have confidence in Christ, we know that we can have eternal life. When we have confidence in Christ, we know that we are God's children and we can rest in our relationship with him. Because it's about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our efforts or our works or how good we can do. It's not about us earning a place at God's side or being good enough to get to heaven. It's about grace and it's about Christ and it's about the salvation that he offers us and the fact that he will never fail. Ephesians 2 says it so well, beginning of verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And that's why we can have confidence in Christ. And, you know, having established that truth, John then concludes with verse 21, where he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. And honestly, at first glance, that seems like such a strange way to end not just this passage, but this entire book. But, you know, the more you think about it, the more relevant it actually becomes. Because, again, John has just established the deity of Christ. He's just shown us through through this passage and through this book That Christ is our all in all. He's the source of life. He's the source of truth. He's the source of our peace. He's the source of our victory. He's the source of all of our confidence. So John really just concludes with a simple application. Keep yourself from idols. And saying that, all he's saying is, if Christ is your all in all, don't turn away to anything else for any other reason. If you have seen and known the one true God, He says, don't go back. Don't go back to those other idols in your life. And John, is he's not just talking about little statues of gold or stone or whatever when he talks about idols. What he means is, don't go back to anything else in your life that might take God's place away from where he deserves. Things like materialism, possessions, money, bank accounts, sensuality, worship of self, so many other things. He's saying, don't Let anything else take Jesus' place in your life. Don't get distracted by anything else. In other words, if it's all about Jesus and nothing else, make it about Jesus and nothing else. And you know, John, if if John, in writing this letter, has been able to help you know Jesus 
better for who he truly is and trust in him for all that he has done for us on the cross, then I think that John would feel his work is complete. And as we come to the communion table again this morning, we are reminded of that message again. That message that all can draw near to God who believe in the Son. It's not just for a few privileged few. It's not just for the cream of the crop. It's for all of us who believe. It's for you. It's for me. Because of Jesus. Because he's the one that makes the difference. He's our salvation. He's the source of eternal life. He's the reason for our confidence, both for now and for eternity. And that is what we want to be mindful of as we come to the Lord's table again this morning. And it's what, it's what this table represents. In what this table represents, that our confidence in Christ is truly found. Let's pray. Father God, we are ah, just so thankful for the words of John. Such a, such a timely reminder in a world so full of distractions, so full of worry, so full of anxiety, so full of reasons that we begin to doubt ourselves and doubt everything else. How timely 